Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women. And these beers are going to pour out of our brownest eye. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. We're the Drunk Guys, and this week we're reading The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And Nate's starting with a beer, I think. And giving the book the seriousness it deserves. Absolutely. Starting from the beginning. That's what they're here for. All right, so I tried to find. I'm having my father's baby IPA. They were out of stock. So. Is that a real thing? I think it's a stout. <laughs> <laughs> so all I have is mm, fruit, blackberry, blueberry by other half. This is also how the other half lives. So I guess, you know, there's African that connection, American but it's mostly bird. the blueberry part. This is a fruited Berliner Weiss. What percent? No idea, but probably not that high. 6.5. Thank you, he who is not drinking it. Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, it's good. It's a little, it's definitely tart, because, you know, it's a Berliner Weiss with berries. It's not one of their ones with, like, toasted coconut, which always makes me sad. (laughs) I'm always sad that it's not in there, because it's amazing. But, you know, this is still pretty good. And it is kind of blue in color. More purple. Abadi Abadai. So this book is by Toni Morrison and is from 1970. It's her first and book. Her first book. She came out swinging. Yeah. Not the blue eye, not the bluer eye. It's the bluest eye. And uh, it is an interesting book because it's kind of has like weird rambly things and passages where you have no idea what the fuck is going on. But you figure out eventually that it takes place kind of in the 40s. <laughs> Where uh, a bunch of you know two young girls, so they were sisters. They have Claudia and I can't remember the other one's name already. Frida, Frida, and then there's this other girl, Pecola. Is that how you say that? Pecola, Pecola, RC, uh, short for RC Cola, <laughs> um, comes to be like a foster child there uh, with them because uh, because you know her house just got burnt down. You know, so that's going to be like a fun childhood romp. And she's a strange kid. And it gets worse from there. No, it starts at 11. And she's a a weird kid, and everyone's like, this kid's fucking ugly and weird. They do and mention uh, that she is ugly. Often. Yeah, that's kind of the whole, the whole gist, is that look at this uggo moving into our house. She's nice and all, but damn, does she look fucked up. And it is uh, it is a book about... As you might guess, uh, the black experience in the 40s and racism and in, I guess it would be called internalized racism and intra-racism. Self-loathing. Yeah. A lot of of the themes. Yeah. Definitely one of the themes of the book. And as more than one character is going to have like self-loathing because of racism. So, okay. Let's talk about that. So the book is is a novel except it is more it is actually more like a series of characters stories i, I know that sounds like a novel so wait let me <laughs> back up <laughs> character studies still sounds like a novel when you say it like that it's, it's like it a has, short story but long <laughs> <laughs> like a novella but a little it's longer like a, a little bit it's bigger like than a novella. plot with characters but you know okay so there is some but short <laughs> There is, except for one's note in the beginning, there isn't quite some like grand mystery or grand like 
you know, one character who's like trying to bring the ring to Mordor. It is more like you meet this character and you, then you hear about their no, they're, life. They're trying to bring it to Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, oh, yeah, and her mother. Let's find about, out about her life and the father, about his life and about, you know, these other characters, about their lives. It, it, it is just kind of like it's not a series of short stories, but yet it is also not Lord of the Rings. So it... it it doesn't quite have that internal story driving the entire plot forward. It's just the stories of these people's lives and how it came to be the way it is. So it takes place in the 1940s in Ohio in a like steel steel town, like the, the, the father of Claudia, who's sort of the main character, at least for part of it, or at least the point of view character for part of it, and is probably the closest to Toni Morrison's as a child writing about herself and our father works in the steel mill. So they're not, it's not New York city. Um, it's not Chicago. It's not a big like happening place. It is the Midwest. Everyone from the Midwest is going to hate me now, but whatever. They don't care. I live in New York. <laughs> so um, anyway, so they're they're They live in a, so Claudia and her older sister, Frida, they live in a very modest house, but they have like with a mother and a father, and then they take in a child from the neighborhood whose house has just burnt down. And this child is in the house, the one that comes in, the, the child that comes in is named Pecola. You find out a little bit about Claudia and her family. It, though I was confusing her and her family with Pecola's family a number of times because Claudia kind of says like, her mother doesn't seem very warm or very like, or, or more like the way she phrases it is children, black children in the 1940s. It's like, no, all the, when adults talk to them, it's just telling them what to do. This is actually like, kind of like the first passage in the book is really like, everyone just says, sit down, go over there, eat your food, go to bed. But no one ever explains why. No one speaks, treats them kind of like, you know, people, they're just kind of ordered around and are thought of as annoying. Anyway, they're they a, they're in, a burden. Yes. So Claudia, what she says in the beginning is like, oh, for Christmas, all they ever give me is a doll. And I don't want that, especially because the doll is white. White with blue eyes, which doesn't look like me or anyone I know. And why would I want this? And why would girls just want to then have just dolls to pretend and it makes this weird noise because even in the 40s it had some sort of like internal sound thing what would make this like cry and she's like it sounds like the the creak of the refrigerator door opening that's what it sounds like to me anyway so first part i mean obviously this book is about race but this is kind of like the very first thing where it's like oh so the only dolls that they sell are the white ones and my parents are giving me this white doll. That was probably true. Oh, I'm sure that was true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe somewhere you could find one, you could find dolls that weren't just completely white, but not but not yeah. in like nowhere, no, Ohio. Yeah, you'd have to go. Also known as Ohio. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> shots fired. One of the reasons that they hate these dolls, or like Claudia hates these dolls, is because growing up in America, black Jim Crow fucking... Jim Crow, you know, back in the olden times, she is seeing this doll 
and this is the, you know, standard of what looks good. And she knows she'll never be a white kid with blue eyes. So no one, why would anyone think that she is pretty or even remotely nice looking? Because it's ingrained in them as a culture that this is a standard of beauty that you will never achieve and never be able to achieve. So fuck you. He's a pretty um, astute kid to to recognize that. Yeah, she and is. Not, uh, not just like feel shitty and not know why. <laughs> as kids mostly do. So Pecola is like, first of all, okay, so her her house has burned down and this whole thing about, you know, they're going to be out, not on the street, that wasn't the word. Outdoors. Outdoors, yes. The family, like, you know, we at least we had a family, but her family's now outdoors and that's like really bad. She had a, you know. she was talking about how different between being outside and outdoors is is like you can like go outside, but if you're like outdoors it means like you don't have anything. You're dirty and and they, they even before the house burned down, they were probably among the poorest people in town to begin with and their family was looked down upon because they're ugly. Everyone wants to be able to look down on someone. Yeah. Anyway, so Piccola is not only just like weird, also because her family is so fucked up, which you find out a little bit later, but she's thought of as ugly. She's like, everyone at school is like, oh, she's so ugly. And every all the parents are like, oh, that ugly girl. So she thinks she's ugly. And, but also part of it is that she thinks she's ugly because she's not white. Like, because the societies, you know, this is the 1940s. So this is like Hollywood. There's a thing about movies a little bit later, you know, going to the movies and they love Shirley Temple. And, you know, obviously all the characters are white. And the Do movie you know stars, Shirley the actresses. married name was? Real fact. Black. Shirley Temple. <laughs> Shirley Temple Black. She fucking receptioned this, <laughs> this book. <laughs> She got married. She became she and she was like an ambassador at some point, right? Wasn't she? She had some weird bullshit. I think she was, like yeah. Sure. She was Temple U.S. Boy. ambassador to Ghana. Oh, oh okay. my god, to Ghana! They were like, sure, let's see, Wait, let's when? test that Shirley Temple Black. Was this the, was this the sixties? Seventies. Seventies. Well, okay, that's not still not long after Ghana got its independence. Nineteen seventy four. She became the ambassador to Ghana. What a fucking weird turn of things. Okay. Nixon picked her to be ambassador <laughs> to Ghana. That one was on TV. I know that one. She one of them? <laughs> no, sir. Okay. <laughs> she is not a crook. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. Low, if you go on her Wikipedia page, there's a picture of her with Pat Nixon and some chief in Ghana in 1972. Well, there you go. That is a wild image. But in the context of this book, she is, you know, this child's standard of, not maybe not beauty because she's a kid, but like features that are, you know, that they would want, like having blue eyes, which yes. is not and a so, thing that she can have. And so Pacola wants blue eyes so that she, and she feels like if I have, if I had blue eyes, I would be normal and my family would be normal and not so fucked up. We did actually forget to mention that the very beginning of the book, like the first paragraph is like, yep, the date, the marigolds died because Pecola was having her father's baby 
and the baby died. And that's just like the one thing it throws at you right at the beginning. You don't know who these characters are. It's like, oh, that's fucked up. It's a lot and to start find with, out yeah. at the end what that's all about. But that is a thing, right? Like the first paragraph of the book. And then you get stories, like the whole like backstory of the other characters. You get the story of, so Pakola's mother, whose name is? Polly. Polly. Polly was her name. Yeah, Polly and Charlie. Pauline. Yeah, there you go. Pauline, yeah. Oh, she is Pauline because when she works with the White family, they call her Polly. There you go. So Polly and Charlie. Who didn't grow up in Ohio. She grew up in the South. So, But this would be the South in like the 1920s. She stepped on a rust... A middle-aged Strom Thurmond was still still doing (laughs) shit. Yeah, actually, it's probably true. Uh, So when she was two, she stepped on a rusty nail and got tetanus. And so she has like a club foot. Club foot is probably not the right way to say that. She has a... I think it is a club club foot like when your foot is... Deformed. She has a like not working correctly foot for, you know, for the rest of her life. Because, you know, medical care for people who were in the 1920s was also almost non-existent. But if you were white, you maybe had a little... If you were not white, you had none at all. So she has uh, this foot, which she makes, which makes her very like self-conscious, and you know she has dreams about being, you know, beautiful and having beautiful feet, <laughs> you know, beautiful <laughs> working feet. I guess you could say she goes. No, I don't know. Okay, so she goes to the north and she meets Charlie, but yet you actually don't get her backstory right away. You get the you you find out about how like her and her husband, Charlie, C H O L L Y. That's how it's spelled. Spells moon. <laughs> how they like fight, like literally beat the shit out of each other. Though that's, I'm sure she loses most of the time. That's because what he's love drunk. Looks like, mate. She's drunk. I mean he's drunk. And anyway, it was pretty pretty brutal. But then you find out about how, like, you know, she feels, feels very, like, self-conscious. And then, but he meets her when, you know, they're, they're young and stuff like that. And he, he's very interested. And he's, like, the first man who was ever interested in her. And she's like, oh, my God. And then she ends up marrying him. And they have these kids. And either he wasn't an alcoholic yet and did, became an alcoholic later. Well, they talk about how they, they moved to some, you know, little apartment. And he was working during the day, and she would just be at home by herself all the time, just waiting for him to come home. And he would be like, use any excuse to go out, you know, and party, and, you know, fuck around. But, you know, became a carouser, and she would just be miserable and alone Mm -hmm. all the time, even when she had a kid. You know, she wanted a kid so she could have someone to talk to. And it was a real bummer, like everything else in the book. And she's also uh, very religious, and she there's a whole section about her talking about how the shittier he is, the holier she is. The shittier he is, the holier she is for putting up with him. So suffering is good. Joins the church, joins all the community stuff going on at the church. She doesn't want him to like stop drinking and get better because, you know, then how is she holy for being with someone who's not a fuck up? It's all she has. It's kind of hard to be a martyr when the... You're not martyred anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> she has fucking nothing else going for her. So her only solution is, you know, next time around, it'll be better. Because I'm doing so much 
suffering right now. Well, the thing she does have for her is that she goes out and gets a job because, you know, they're fighting. So she fights with her husband over money because she wants, like, nice clothes. She wants to, like, feel nice. She wants to feel like, you know, because she's self-conscious about her foot. She wants to have nice clothes and not feel poor. So she goes out and gets a job as, like, a housekeeper. start falling out, right? She's fucked up. Yeah, she has a, like, that, like, that's when she's like, all right, guess I'm not going to be in the movies. Yeah, because she, she like not all of oh, her teeth, right, but yeah. like she starts losing to like one. getting like you know in every you know standard definition of it like uglier. Like she's losing teeth, her skin gets all fucked up. She just starts looking worse and worse and worse. So she gives up on that. Yes, her her acting career barely ha- it only has a leg to stand on. <laughs> the other foot's fucked up. Yeah, so then she gets her, a job. Her like, withered foot. Well, she gets a job for a rich white family as, yeah. like, the housekeeper, the cook, the nanny. She does all those things. And she's really good at it. And she she commands respect in her role as, like, cook and housekeeper. Not at home, though, in her own family. Only in the family. Only as, like, the servant. She has a level of respect. When she goes to the shops to buy stuff like food, she says that, you know, the... what. You know, like the fish, if there was something slightly wrong with it, she's just like, no, that's not good enough for my, for you know, for, you know, my people, the people she's working for. My but employer's yet, family. For employers, like, but yet if she was buying that for her own family, she'd be like, yes, please, no, I want to, I need that one. I can't, I can't afford any more than that. So she's somehow like found a level of respect for herself in an entirely different realm, working for a white family than for her own family at home. And it makes her kind of resentful. Weird. Why would she do that? <laughs> that seems like a perfectly reasonable... Oh, no, that's terrible. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then you uh, and then you get the story of Charlie. So Charlie is... Like at the very beginning, like he just you you know gets to his story because you only all you find out in the earlier in the book is that he's a drunk, beats his wife, doesn't and he like burns down the house. You haven't even found out about the worst thing he's gonna do. That's not till later. So anyway, the very part is so his mother leaves him after just as he's born, before he's ten days old, leaves him to die in the in the in the garbage in the on a trash heap but he doesn't die because his aunt his aunt jimmy oh right aunt takes jimmy. him in <laughs> aunt jimmy takes him in the mother though just leaves she she's like not in the story at all she just runs away oh we completely forgot to talk about the prostitute named the magino line <laughs> <laughs> And we'll get back to them. We'll get back to them. So anyway, so he's his teenage mother leaves him to die as an infant, but the aunt takes him in, and the aunt takes pretty good care of him, but then she dies, and he's like 15 years old and, you know, six feet tall, and he's like, I don't, he doesn't even, he doesn't know his mother's name, and, or he doesn't remember, and he knows his father's name, and that he's never met his father at all. He knows his father went off to Macon. And so when his aunt dies, he's like, oh, wait, okay. Except, except like his like also extremely traumatic thing is when he's like after the funeral or like at the party or at a party later, 
he goes and like finds a girl and they're like really into each other. And so they're like out in the woods and they, they start having sex. And then two white men with guns find them. And then they're like, carry on, keep going. And they're like, it's just, you know, absolutely, you know, not just humiliating, but dehumanizing. And it's like, uh, uh, and he feels so bad, but he also like, but he hates the girl instead of the men. This is him internalizing the hatred for himself rather than of the white people. So then Anne is dead and now he's traumatized and he has just a little bit of money. So he goes and gets on a bus to Macon, Georgia and manages to find his father right away. And his father is a piece gambling. of gambling. <laughs> yeah. Total, total piece of shit. He's gambling and he walks up to him. He's like, who's, who's, which one of you is, um, Samson. Well, who's Samson? And it says the last, the name. I forget the name, but I was like, who's, which one is Samson? I was him over there. It's like, hi, Samson. And the man is just like, who the fuck are you? And, and <laughs> like, tell, tell the bitch she'll get her money is what he says. He does. He doesn't know if this is his son. Or maybe he and, knows then, it's one of his sons. No, or <laughs> no, but he he thinks it's something, someone enti- entirely different. Yeah. So, but then the son, who's fifteen, but now actually taller than his father, and he's because he imagines his father is going to be a big man, but no, he's taller. He's uh, he he's you know completely tongue tied. He doesn't even remember his mother's name because doesn't remember his mother. And and so he doesn't end up acting. He totally loses his nerve and doesn't tell his father, I'm your son. Instead, he just sees his father as like a, you know, ne'er-do-well. And then he shits his pants. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. There was a line before he got on the bus, like he was afraid to even use the restroom because he thought the bus was going to leave without him. So it just says, extremely constipated. He got on the bus... And you wouldn't say the brownest eye fucking thing. <laughs> it's in the book. It is, yeah. <laughs> and so it's, and then he like meets his father, but he like totally can't tell him anything. And then he's like, now he's in a different city that he doesn't know anything. Doesn't he's know still anyone. A kid. And he's still a child. He's has no money. Tall. Has no family, and he's just completely lost. So what does he do? He shits himself. I shit you not. Yep. But he cleans himself up. <laughs> cleans himself up and then kind of goes on with his then life. Does it ju- jump ahead until like after he's married and this is what happens with Piccola? Yeah. So then it jumps ahead. Let's go back for a second though. Yes. So uh, in, the, in the building above Piccola, in the, in the apartment above Piccola, are three prostitutes named... Each- like China and fucking Germany, Poland. It's like China. It's like China, Poland, and the or China, France, and the Maginot Line. Poland. It was Poland. Poland. Yeah. Yeah. The geography is a little, a little wonky. <laughs> little wonky, but it was they like, are not from those places. Uh, no, Shockingly. definitely not. But they could be anything you want them to be for the right price. <laughs> okay, I want to know, like, what was that about? So like, this why, was, why this were they was, in there? So, no, what I mean is, why did they get those names? So, if it's 1941, is it just because (laughs) those are three places that have been, that have fallen? You know, China's been invaded by Japan, Poland by Germany, and then the Maginot Line also uh, breached by Germany. 
All right. Look, stick France. with me here. Stick with me here. This is my uh, making it up on the spot answer. Um, <laughs> another you mean your considered answer. I'm, I've considered it for several seconds. Sometimes another word for prostitute would be a fancy lady. This is like a term people did use. And these are places that these people will never see. These are fancy foreign lands. They're exotic. Exotic. The only way they're going to see it is by banging a prostitute named China. Because when I think of exoticism, I think of Poland. (laughs) If you're from (laughs) bumfuck Ohio and you've probably never left bumfuck Ohio, Poland is exotic. Fucking Kentucky is exotic. A land called Poland where the potatoes flow like water. (laughs) (laughs) The potatoes flow like wine. The pierogies flow like wine. Like, I don't actually know what the Maginot line is. Okay, so in. Okay, so World War I happens. France wins, Germany loses. But then France sees that Germany is both rearming and getting stronger again and was just and had just invaded. So France, along the border between France and Germany, France built this hundreds of miles long, like, fortification that was supposed to, called the Maginot Line, that was supposed to stop Germany from being able to invade. It was like, you know, concrete and had like... It was a great wall of Alsace-Lorraine. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. pretty good. Um, however, it didn't work. For multiple reasons. First, they didn't build it in front of Belgium. <laughs> so they, they, they like stopped when it got to the edge of Germany. And so Germany just invaded through Belgium. That didn't help. That was actually a feint because they were they were also they also didn't build a wall a place in front of um the Arden Forest because it was thought that the forest was just too dense that you couldn't invade. Germany could not invade through the forest into into France. And so they kind of only built part of it. And then in uh, either April, yeah, April of 1940, Germany was able to just like absolutely bypass all the Maginot Line, even though France spent the equivalent of billions of dollars on building this fortification. It didn't work at all. Didn't work. And you know what people at the, no soldiers at the Maginot Line wanted, Nate? Hookers. Also, you know, there you go. Full this, circle. This whole thing is, you know, guys, they're trying to to bang a lady. You know, it's it's difficult. But since she's a prostitute, she is easily penetrated. <laughs> I actually think that's the reason. Yeah, it's like a New Yorker joke. <laughs> I mean, I, I fucking Yorker don't cartoon. know. Yep, this is this is one Yorker of those books where you need like sure. a fucking mm-hmm. like. Like someone to hold my hand through it. I'm sure there's like a very there's either a very very like lofty uh, reason behind it, or it's something just like dumb and crass like that. Like it's faux fancy because these people are uneducated in this town. They're not going to make like they're not going to read the New Yorker. Could just be read the cartoons. Some pimp made those names up for them, and they just didn't question it because it gets smacked in the mouth. <laughs> like that's I don't know. It it felt to me really weird and silly in what is otherwise a very serious book. Well, the prostitutes are kind of like not comic relief because there's no relief in this book at all. Um, but they're like 
they're relative, like the Maginot line herself are like, what her, her name is actually like Marie. Like Piccola knows her as, you know, oh, my friend Marie is like, you saw the Maginot line up there. It's like, who the fuck is the Maginot line? Like the prostitute. It's like, you guys talk about Marie? Because she's like Piccola's friend. Because they're not mean to Piccola because no one respects them either. But they're kind of like weird characters that are compared to everyone else in the book, like happy like they're yeah, doing know their place you know they're 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 lane they they don't hate themselves and i guess you would i guess maybe it's a literary thing where it's like you know all oh, these lowly prostitutes they should feel like shit and all these like hyper religious people around them but like no they're actually doing great they're the only happy people happy people in this book are the prostitutes they don't give they don't think that they're ugly people pay yeah. money to bang them hmm. that's my dissertation it's less than a page long <laughs> I will not defend it. <laughs> All right. So after you get um, Charlie's chapter, you get to um, Pecola. You gets back to Pecola where her father rapes her. And she's like 11? Yeah. 12? She's 11. Her father rapes her. And then she goes to... Because at this point, like that, the family has gotten... They've all moved back into some storefront. They are all living together again, but they're still... I think it's a storefront underneath where the prostitutes yeah, live. They're all still destitute, but they're no longer outdoors. They're not living with Claudia and Frida's family anymore. And then after she's raped by her father, she goes to the weird sort of preacher guy. Soped. Who... Soped. Yeah. Soped. There you go. He had weird name, Soaphead. Because he put who, soap in his hair or something? He got that name because he had some like pomaded thing that looks like soap in your hair. Mm. And that he, that's just so that people give him that name. Anyway, so he she goes to him and says, can you, because he also has this weird like God thing because he's like sort of a preacher, but also sort of not. And she asks him for blue eyes. Can you make my eyes blue? And he says, yes, just give this poison to this dog that I don't like. <laughs> the Lord the works in, in mysterious the ways. So she says, give, give this, yes, God will do that for you. Just take this food and give it to this dog. And meanwhile, it's actually poison because he's poisoning the dog that he doesn't like. And then he writes a letter about why he molests girls. I don't know why that needed to be in the book because <laughs> <laughs> this is a completely new character that seems like it's not connected to the other characters it's not like you could say this is the story of this family this family's back that that's not what this character is so i was then very confused about what the book is supposed to be but anyway that was a thing well i think i think i think part of the letter for him was like because he's writes the letter to god <laughs> Right, so it's like, dear God, I win, <laughs> and he has this rambly, incoherent nonsense about how he likes little girls, and and he says, but you know, I I I'm winning this one because that girl, um, you know, I I am granting her wish. Uh, I am doing the thing that you can't do. He doesn't really say how she's going to get those blue eyes, but he, you know, she's going to think she gets them. So it doesn't have to make sense. I mean, when you write rambly letters to God, they're usually pretty incoherent. And he stays on course with that. 
And then the next scene is Pacola talking to either Claudia or Francine. And Pacola's like, are my eyes blue now? And she's like, yes, they're so blue. But are they really blue? Are they the bluest? Does somebody out there, do I have the bluest eyes? Someone in the world must have the bluest eyes. Or the bluest eye. Hence the name of the book. Because she still really wants it. But of course, I didn't understand like she actually had blue eyes that doesn't make sense no because the end of the book is like not flashed forward too far but they're like older they're like adults and Pecola is like the town crazy person she lives like with her mom at the edge of town and she is like the children like point and stare at her because she's like a like a bag lady and she's like muttering to herself she, she, lo- she loses her mind and she, mm. you know, talks about how her, her eyes are really blue, but they're not because she's just broken. And her, the, the incest baby died, like in the first sentence, and it, it just broke her. And you're like, wow, this book is uplifting. That's pretty much it, right? <laughs> uh, there's the, the only final thing is where, was where Claudia explains how with her sister, they're like, oh, we had these seeds we were going to sell to buy a bike, but then we said, oh, we mm. need to do something for Pecola to save the babies, so we're going to plant the seeds, and we're going to make this sacrifice, so that we're going to ask God to help the baby, so where our sacrifice is, instead of selling the seeds, we're just going to plant them and then put our, like, Dollar twenty-five we've earned so far in the ground. Also, we're just going to plant them there. But the seeds didn't grow, and the baby died, and then the end. Another uplifting tale, guys. <laughs> so it was quite depressing. So the plot <laughs> is incredibly depressing. I did actually really like it, the way it was written. Yeah, it's very good, but it is hard. It's a hard one. <laughs> so the the way that Toni Morrison like. The, the 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 phrases she uses, the language she uses, I I really liked it. Well, there's a, this is this is one of those books that uh, really really sums it up at the end. Luckily, like here's a few paragraphs of this is an allegory, or you know this is what this book means, and you're like, oh thank God, thank thank you for summing it up for me, Miss Morrison, because I was I was holding on, I was white knuckle on this thing. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I mean, I I read this the worst way possible, which was to not read it in a row, but to have read a different book in the middle of reading it. Mm. And then when I was reading it, try to read it quickly. So I was lost most of the time. Well, I mean, this is one of those books where, like, the plot really only serves to, you know, showcase the message. So the finer points and details of all the characters are, like, it doesn't matter too much. Once you get like the gist of it, you're like, oh, I, I understand why this book is. Oh, you know, I mean, it, it's a, it is a good book. It's just I did not read it correctly. But I was reading um, to try to cheat. I read some of the spark notes for it, and I was like, let me <laughs> see if I could figure some shit out. And it's a great book for a classroom because there's everything has meaning in every character, and like you need a Sherpa. Like... One of the things I remember from reading that is about uh, Soaphead. And Soaphead also is like infatuated with whiteness and things. And it's like fucked him up. It made him crazy in a different way. He was kind of, he had his whole life story about how he was like kind of like a weird incel almost. But he's like mixed race. He's like half something. Like, yeah, he's some sort of mixed 
race. So, but I basically feel superior, and he acts superior, and he thinks he could just like write letters to God and can, can you know do miracles because he's part white. And you're like, oh, that does make some more sense. Okay, all these characters. I mean, it is everything is allegorical. This is about how they, you know, use others to put the to put others down to make themselves feel better. Yeah, well, you can make yourself feel bigger by making other people feel small. <laughs> yeah, which, as Nate said at the beginning, like everybody wants that. Everybody wants somebody. Even if we can't put ourselves at the top of the pecking order, it's nice to know there's someone below you. Sometimes, yeah, the lower you are, probably the nicer that feels. <laughs> that's how humanity has functioned. <laughs> But it's a book that I, I feel bad for having read it quickly and poorly. So I want to. Re- I'm not going to say I read it on good. It is one that you could like day. read in a day if you just like read yeah. it. Yeah, that's, you that's don't have to part. zoom through it, but it's not. It's not long. It's actually. It's a pretty short book. Yes, yeah, two hundred pages. Uh, but it's brief. But it's. It's just not a. Uh, it's not a beach book. Um, it's not a beach book. <laughs> <laughs> so in the midst of all the other crap we've done lately, it's like you plow through. Fucking love hypothesis or something. Yeah, where the plot also didn't matter. (laughs) And they were also obsessed with whiteness. Yeah, yeah, they kind of were. But I see why this is a, you know, from the themes, the kind of modernist way it's written, and how this stuff, you know, in an ELA classroom, an English uh, seminar room, there's a lot you could say. I could see why this is a main, remained a very popular book and canonical work. It's it's great. I'm sure there's something on every page you could like dissect. Yeah, I don't know how to do that, and I can't do it. You know, like reading it by myself, and it's hard. It's hard. It's a hard book. But even if you don't get it all, I think you can get enough of it that you can appreciate it. So who should read it? I feel like hobbies? everyone should read it. I don't know if you're gonna get stuff from it. It reminded me of Their Eyes Were Watching God. Kind of, yeah. Years ago. I didn't like that one as much, definitely. Like, I thought that one was fine. I'm also sure that I didn't get it. Maybe this, were Their Eyes Watching God, like, much older? Or maybe it was yeah, set much older? That's from the third. It's, it's, it, that was, it's mu- it is much older. They're set in a similar time period, though. Because, because Their Eyes Were Watching God was set in that time period, which was the 20s. And this is the forties, in a but not, written in the sixties. Advanced, written in the sixties, but not advanced like you know. Um. So, but you know, it was takes place in the forties in a place that's in an area. It, also, there are flashbacks to you know the earlier nineteen hundreds. So, it kind of takes place in the same time period, and it is very much the story of kind of regular people, yeah, regular black people in the struggles they go through. I think this one is, you know, more than just that. It's about, I don't want to say the, the, the things they do to each other because it sounds fucked up, but you know, it's kind of, it's like a coping thing. Like you shit on other people because people are cruel (laughs) and there's nothing we can do about it. I don't know. Is that the message? Well, I think the self acceptance bit I mean, like all the characters who are obsessed with trying to be white go crazy, literally, because that's a fool's errand. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and and there must be some semi-autobiographical thing. I mean, Toni Morrison was born in 1931 and grew and lived in Ohio as a child. So. I'm 
sure it's plenty of firsthand witnessing of stuff like this. Yeah. A prostitute named the Maginot Line is still one of the craziest things I've ever heard. <laughs> See, I didn't know what that was. I thought it was like a train line because they run a train on her. Like, I was like, I don't, I guess that's what it could be. I don't know. I didn't look it up, which I probably should have done, but. I don't know. It'd be interesting to know, like, Tony Morrison is like, yes, the real, the real meaning of the book is in the hookers. That's where I mean, it I'm sure that's about. part of it. She wouldn't, she does not strike me as someone who would put something in there that had no purpose. No, definitely not. So she sure won the Nobel in Prize in Literature. She's a, a real deal. So I watched a short interview she did about this, about the bluest eye. She said that when she wrote it, I mean, she was, you know, it was the 60s, and she's like, I was this, I wrote the book that I was hoping to read, but this didn't exist yet. You know, and so she included her, uh, you know, certainly a bit of her own experience. Not that, you know, not that this is exactly her life or anything, but she was like, yeah, this is what I wanted the book, bu- this is what I wanted to exist, you know, and I was looking for it, couldn't find it, so I just went and wrote it. She was already like an editor or something like that, like she already had a job. She was editing poetry and other novels and shit for other people. Yeah, for, for like publishing Random House, house or something yeah. like one of the big publishers. Mm-hmm. And she wrote this, I couldn't, okay, my impression was it was on her own time, but that might not quite be correct either. She was just like, she just felt like writing something. And it took her like five years to write it, but pretty good one out the gate, you know. Yeah, and to come out in 1970, as early as 1970, a story like this is actually pretty crazy. I don't know anything about how it was received when it was released. It must have been good enough for her to be like, I'm just going to do this now instead of keep editing. She might have done both. According to Wikipedia, the book, the novel did not sell well, but the City University of New York. Um, included it on a list for its Black Studies department, which helped draw attention to the book and brought attention from other publishers who then wanted to publish her follow-up books. Everybody has to start somewhere. Oh, my God, Song of Solomon. That's a book. Uh, I'm just looking at what other stuff she wrote. Because I know we did Beloved a while ago, which I don't really remember too much of it anymore. That was, that that was also the, kind of weird. Pseudo-ghost. Yeah. Yeah. But Song of Solomon was a book I, I pretended to read in school. And I just remember there was a guy named Milkman in it. I also feel like I was supposed to read that, but probably didn't. Or no, don't remember it no, at all. No, we didn't. We did not. Maybe you made I mean, a little house it now, out of it. Now that I'm old. And I can well, not understand, but appreciate Toni Morrison. <laughs> she also has um, Sula as the other, other book. I mean, she had a, she had a, a run there, man. Bluest Eye, Sula, and Song of Solomon are her first three books. And Beloved's a few years later. I'm starting to think she was pretty good. <laughs> Do more people, more people should know about her. I feel like she should be famous. <laughs> she should have won some shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm down to read more. I just want to... I feel like I need... Like, this is not... It's not just a memoir. Or just a story. Like, she was a, like, she's like a writer's writer. <laughs> like, I need, yeah. I need to cheat reading these books. This is a literary book. Yeah. For literary people. Which is a a big distinction from, uh, we talked about this with uh, Their Eyes with Watching God, where like all the Harlem Renaissance writers shit on Zora Neale uh, Hurston, whatever. because she she made them seem too like... Because they didn't sound like fucking Shakespeare. Yeah. 
But here, no, I'm sure that they would have liked this one. This is fucking highfalutin, and it's good. But uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's not a challenge to read it. It's a challenge to really like get it, or even like really like it's, it's a challenge to get everything. It's almost impossible to get everything. I'm going to guess, but it's it's not it, the the message is not thinly veiled, but it is something you got to work at. Why? I mean, isn't it supposed to be easy for us white men? Why? Why is this hard? <laughs> so who should read it? Have we been lied to? <laughs> Can't I just walk in and understand things and get promoted for it? I mean, usually yes, but maybe not every time. Yeah, if you're if you're a, a literary person, a literary book reader, then you should probably read the works of Toni Morrison. And this is one that's shorter and probably probably le- I haven't read the other ones, but I would bet her first book is not her most experimental one or not yeah, the I'd most. I say this is way more accessible than Beloved. Yeah, because at that time, that book, I was just like, "What the fuck is this? What's happening? Is it a ghost? Why is it a ghost? I don't know." But this one. I think I think I think everyone should give this one a shot. It's short, and if you take your mm-hmm. it, honestly, it's better if you take your time with it. We did it wrong. You could read it slowly and finish it within a week, and let oh, it yeah. saturate your brain and tell us why the Maginot line is called that. <laughs> All right, send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc, or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And uh, go to the Patreon if you want to support the podcast or just leave us a review wherever you're listening. And also, Goodreads is where we are all the time because there is no time on the internet. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. <laughs>